Welcome to A Rabbi and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar, a podcast with relatively well-informed and irreverent musings on religion, news, and society. And now, for your hosts, Rabbi Asher Lopatin and John Geringer. Hello, Asher. Hello, and good evening. You the same on the verge of Rosh Hashanah. Exciting stuff going on. It's great. These are the these are the high holidays. These are the yamim no ra'im, the days of awe. You know, there's a it's exciting. It's a little scary. It's a little intimidating. But we we got to do it. It's happening. Yeah. Do you have a good week? Yeah, it was an interesting week. I met some politicians, governor, someone running for Congress. Went to some interfaith things. It's always interesting, you know, mixing it with with really good people, but not people that I always agree with on big issues, but very, very warm. Actually, you know, I, I, one of the persons that was at this interfaith, I want to follow up with them. One of the persons was a son of uh, Musa Asadar, who was a sheikh in Lebanon, the head of the Amal party of Shiites in Lebanon, killed in 78 probably by Gaddafi, well, on a trip to Libya. So Intrigue. it happens, yeah. But his son is in Detroit, and I want to connect with him. Musa Sadr is an interesting figure. You know, Amal had a, you know, sometimes pro-Israel, sometimes not so pro-Israel. But so, yeah, interesting week. Ask him if he'd want to be on the podcast. <laughs> hey, that'd be interesting, yeah. But what about you, John? Well, I was at a, and this is going to sound more boring than it was, a, a banking law conference. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> How are rabbi conferences? Are those any fun? You know, they're actually a lot of fun, but they're usually in boring places. I, well, not boring. I mean, New Jersey is not boring, you know, but <laughs> they're rarely in exciting places. Where was yours? It was in beautiful Washington, D.C. at hmm. the famous, what they put in quotes, the Hinkley Hilton Ooh. which is, of course, where Reagan was shot in 81 by John right. Hinckley. And, and you know, you, it's strange. And, you know, you and I have seen that scene hundreds of times this, to stand in that very spot where, where Reagan was shot. And, and I didn't realize this, but he was released to his mom basically in 2016 and released Hinkley, unconditionally. Hinckley was. was and released, released unconditionally in June of this year. Wow, that is, there's a sort of a haunting story he was because he was insane sentence he was at saint elizabeth's you know in the in the insane asylum i guess and right, you know right. bring, it's an interesting chuva lesson right like should we forgive a guy like that yeah well that's this season is really all about that and the truth is we do ask god to forgive us it's really a lot of questions about people changing and forgiving and uh, what is that what does it mean what does repentance mean i'm reading actually the sunflower i should have read it along i don't know why i never read it by simon wiesenthal where it's a real question of a kind of nazi ss who's murdered a jew at his deathbed can he confess can he really do sincere tshuva. And you know, John, our tradition does say that some people olamo you can you can win your whole world in one moment. You can theoretically do repentance or you can do some deed that is so powerful that it really you get repentance. It's hard to believe. 
That's good news for people like me who could use all the help we can get. Ah, oh, oh, come on. <laughs> You're as loaded with good deeds. Like yeah, a, I don't like know about that. Pomegranate. Yeah, so I was out there uh, hawking a new book that I edited called Countering the Financing of Terrorism, Law and Policy. And, you know, what struck me is, you know, unlike the military, where I think Jews are underrepresented, I think we are, what, about 2% of the country. Right. Last I read, we're about a third of 1% in the military. But in the Treasury Department, the um, the role of the person who does counterterrorism financing is, you know, when I looked at all the people who had it before, Stuart Levy, David Cohen, Adam Zubin, Segal Manlicher, all Jews, I mean, it's one of those things that probably would give the conspiracy theorists something to, to say. But, you know, to me, it's a source of pride that members of the tribe, for some reason, felt drawn to the world of countering terrorism finance and economic sanctions. And in fact, the, the last woman I mentioned, Sigal Mandlicker, she's also the daughter of Holocaust survivors. And she gave this fantastic speech, I think it was in 2019, where she drew parallels between her family's story and the story of the, what the Treasury Department did to help Jews in World War II under, under Secretary of the Treasury Morgenthau. Wow, that's an and, interesting to hear that. Yeah, and you probably saw a lot of that. I, I know you watched the U.S. and the Holocaust on PBS this week. What do you think? Yeah, well, look, it's so depressing, but enraging, really. Well, first of all, it talked a lot about the the State Department, how bad they were. I don't know. I only seen two of the three episodes. Don't give it away, it, John. I'll just say it gets worse in episode three for the no. State Department. Hey, spoiler no. alert. The oh, no. State Department is anti-Semitic. Wow, yes. But they didn't talk that much about the Treasury Department. So that's interesting that that's an interesting story that maybe it can be your second book, the Treasury Department in World War II. Do you deal with cryptocurrency, by the way, in, in your book? We do. We do. And the good news is it took so long to write that it took after January 6th. So we're able to talk about domestic violent extremism and how to counter the financing of that. So wow. I'm kind of glad that Everybody was so busy that we, we delayed it for three years to finally get the damn thing out. And because uh, the book would have not been the same had it been published on January 4th. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Wow. We yeah. got to get, you know, the AJC, the American Jewish Committee, very interested in these kind of things and in the international war against anti-Semitism and extremism. So we got to maybe bring you in to speak. You got to do a Detroit tour. Hey, I'm willing to go anywhere to hawk the book, even though I don't see a penny of it, but it's it's more bragging rights than anything else. But I did say, I don't know if you saw, there was actually Geringer mentioned in the uh, PBS show. And I don't, I don't know if you caught this. Yeah, I against, did. That was like, they were friends with Anne Frank or with the with the Franks or something? Yeah, I had always known this. So there's an Eva Geringer Schloss is her name. And she survived the war. Her mother, Elfried, married Otto Frank. Oh, and really? Frank's dad. So for a while, I and and they were from Vienna. You know, Geiringer is how they pronounced it there. And I thought that there was a good possibility of a family connection. And so many people asked me over the last few days, having seen the show, I connected with her via email, you know, hoping that I was going to have this great story to tell about being connected to Anne Frank. And Ava got back to me right away and she said, no. <laughs> well, very, you know, very, very kind woman. She got back to me right away, but she she really burst my bubble. I, I no I longer know, have maybe. the connection to Anne Frank that I thought I might have had. Maybe she just wants to keep away the riffraff, you know. Uh, and, you <laughs> All know. those Geringers are calling her, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, 
and we, you know, Lopatins, we, I bond with them, even if we're not related to each other. I'm like Facebook friends and we share, you know, good stories and, you know, good nachas. So, you know, the Geiringers should, you know, connect, even if you're not really. Yeah, same. not not too many of us out there. So I, I'm, I'm going to claim Anne Frank as part of my broader family, right. whether you Ava know, wants to or not. It's it's amazing how relevant how how contemporary the uh, the issues were are that were in the show that were in the documentary. I really recommend everyone to watch it because it's issues of immigration of, of attitudes towards immigrants and refugees. It's our how America has treated the indigenous peoples, Native Americans, and 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 certainly race relations in America and as an inspiration for the Nazis. And um, it's it's frustrating because we see a lot of things going on today, but it really, it highlights, you know, ma- makes a lot of sense. This is not new. And I just found it, you know, and anti-Semitism, how vicious the anti-Semitism is and was. And, you know, just to see Hitler, the footage of Hitler talking about it. And then Detroit, where I am, which I love, it has a real special place in uh, the annals of this 30s and 40s anti-Semitism, because first of all, Henry Ford was a giant anti-Semite, as it mentioned. And and Father Coughlin, Charles Coughlin, was a big anti-Semitic Catholic priest, and his church is still here. And but John, we're going to do, we're planning to do a truth and reconciliation, I hope, with the Archdiocese of Detroit in Father Coughlin's church in the Shrine of the Little Flower and really talk about this. And, it, you know, that's sort of this whole theme doing tshuva. And, and I'll just say one other thing about the Ford Motor Company, that Etzel, Ford's son, is very different from Henry Ford. Henry Ford had a lot of tension with him because... He hung out with Jews and was like cosmopolitan and all that. And and Henry Ford II, Henry Ford's grandson, became very close with Max Fisher, with the great Jewish philanthropist of Detroit. Even Father Coughlin, there are those that say later in life, he did a little bit of repentance. It's not clear. You know, his repentance was that he bought some Israel bonds. So go figure. And maybe that's the one big deed he did that pushed him over the edge into the good column. <laughs> it could do. So it's buy your Israel bonds, you know. <laughs> but but no, I, I agree with you that the show was great. And it, it really was a backdoor way of conveying to modern America the dangers of xenophobia, nativism, anti-Semitism and all of that without, you know, because I don't think you can come at it straight ahead for some people. I think you need to do it more subtly. And I thought that the show, as unsubtle as the Holocaust is, you know, was able to plant the seeds of this is the direction things head if you keep going in this path. Yeah. And and to think about, I mean, Eleanor Roosevelt, what an incredible woman she was. I mean, my parents loved her. My mother talked about her. But in this show, at least, she was really incredible. Yeah, every great quote before they named the person, I said, who's the great person who said that? And it was <laughs> yeah. always Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah. Um, yeah. On the flip side, what we saw this week is DeSantis and his little stunt on, you know, taking the, the 50 or so Latin America asylum seekers where he flew them from Texas to, to Martha's Vineyard. And, you know, it should be no surprise that, you know, the liberal Jews on Martha's Vineyard then had enough lawyers to file a lawsuit against them. I know. That's what you get. 
exactly. but but I was I was reading the the Tochacha, and you can de- describe it better than I. But it's basically there's I think twice in the Torah there are provisions where mm-hmm. where God lists a bunch of curses if you do things wrong, and and it's like the worst of the worst. You know all these horrible things that happen to the Jews. You, so much so that we say very quietly, very quickly, so that I guess we don't want to. Yeah. Why do we do that? So we don't, well, you know, it's just so painful. And, but I also think that sometimes when you say things a little quieter, people actually pay attention, you know, so. Fair enough. So you, you walk through this Tokacha I was reading in, in last week's Torah portion. I was thinking about the DeSantis thing and two stuck out at me. One, one is that you will be cursed for putting and the expression is something like stumbling blocks for the blind, right, which obviously right. doesn't just mean blind, but people who are unaware and wronging the strangers. And all I could think about, boy, you know, I'd be careful if I was DeSantis if I was walking out in a thunderstorm. Yeah, you know, look, I I do agree with you that it's it's horrific just abusing the stranger and the vulnerable. You know, when people take advantage of vulnerable people, it's God doesn't like that. It's it's also <laughs> cold. It's cold. And, and on the other I don't know if it's the other hand. I think it might be the same hand. I wish, I don't know if I've said this before. I probably get on this soapbox a lot. I wish liberals and Biden and everyone would say, not like we're trying to deal with the border or we're trying to, it's a difficult, no, no, no. We need more immigrants. I want 10 million more people coming to this country. Now, that should have been said a year or two ago when we were, or a year ago. And now, now I was afraid of a recession. But remember on that show, Eleanor Roosevelt said it best that we get a thousand times benefit from each immigrant who comes here. So, you know, that's what the, the, the Democratic Party and you hear it a little bit occasionally on NPR, some, you know, nerd or something. Yes, yeah, so someone who's clearly not running for office. Right, right. But that, that, it can't be the message like, well, we're trying to control it and we're trying to, we can know the message is we want more people, more, 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 more. These are great people. There's the most, you know, these are tough people that have walked a thousand miles to get to America. So I, I fault the Biden administration for not taking that strong stand because if the stand is, well, we're trying to control them, then you're going to lose. So, so at least, you know, when, when Ron DeSantis, they're trying to, you know, get publicity for this, they're, they're very successful. The way that I wish that, that the message would be how much we need, how much we need more people in America and immigrants. You know, the, the biggest problem, Elon Musk said, Elon Musk, you know, he must be right. But, but he does point out the biggest world problem is shrinking populations and aging populations. You know, John, I'm a boomer. So, you know, aging populations and shrinking in Western Europe, in Japan, even in China and in America, the only thing that's keeping us from declining is immigration. So, you know, Biden should say, you know, they say, well, three million people have come in. He should say, Baruch Hashem, thank <laughs> God, you know, Ken Yerbu, bring them all double, in. Double down, <laughs> right? Yeah. So Plenty anyway, of room. <laughs> exactly. There's plenty. Uh, there's there's room in Detroit. Detroit used to have 1.8 million people in this city. We have 600,000 people now. There's we have room for another million people here. Bring them in. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, you are not running for office. Although I would love to see that happen. <laughs> it'd be fun. It'd be fun. You got to raise too much money for. I don't think I'll get. 
maybe I'll get a lot of APAC money. I don't know. We'll see. We'll we'll see how much we get out of this podcast. Maybe we'll start selling swag out of the podcast. Well, actually, we might. And I think, actually, John, we have a sponsor. We do. Well, George Hainis, a friend of ours, was kind enough to put our logo on his website, World Jewish Daily. And also, you know, we should say that he... He is also, we're talking about Rosh Hashanah, he's got this Dezimra Institute yeah. where he has Nigunim songs of Rosh Hashanah. It's a great website, I have to say. Like, if you want to get yourself into the Rosh Hashanah tunes spirit, especially old school tunage, Chazan style, that is the place to go. Yeah, and I actually think, yeah, Rosh Hashanah, these holidays... You could even say Judaism itself is a combination of new and old. And there are some amazing new tunes that you can also get that, you know, my kids are into. But and at the same time, it's not but at the same time, these old tunes are classic and they're even called Skarbava. They're called sometimes Mycenae. Uh, Tradition has it that God taught them to Moshe at Sinai and Moshe must have been musical and he might not have spoken well, but he was musical. And so these are from all the way back to Sinai, some of these classic tunes. What it means is just that, you know, the Judaism's a mixture. Are you sure they're not, are you sure they're not German drinking songs? <laughs> Lewandowski and yeah, I mean, you know, it's, they're, they're a comp, well, who knows, but it's sort of a com. This is Judaism at its best is. It's kind of a combination of old school tradition, but with with a contemporary understanding and sensitivity, and that speaks to, to the contemporary world. And and it's a struggle. It's not easy to combine the two. But yeah, if you go on this site, you'll get those classic tunes, and I remember them. You know, in shul, we still do them, but combine a lot of newer contemporary contempt tunes so i'm sure the the christian world goes to the same kind of thing i mean i don't well, yeah well the christian world they have i i gotta tell you sometimes when i'm alone driving in the car i crank up the christian rock i mean those those songs are absolutely fantastic now i may turn off a word or here or there but the rest <laughs> of it it's great i love yeah. christian rock and well, by the and- way i don't know if you've been seeing that there's sort of a resurgence of the interest in the miami boys choir scene how if you look on, I've seen the, you know, TikToks and things like that of, of modern teenagers getting real excited about Hasidish's songs and, and, and the Miami Boys Choir. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my kids, they love these. Yeah. The, the acapella and acapella. And but, John, I mean, this week we had the funeral for the Queen. That's old school music. That's really old school music. And. There's nothing like an organ. Come on. I mean, I understand why the early Reformed Jews in, in the 19th century, they they had to bring the organ into the synagogue. It's just gorgeous. Now, it doesn't work with Jewish law, but, but it's some of these... Yeah, tell everyone why not. Well, you know, Jewish law, the, the, the technically, it's because on the Sabbath, they're worried that the organ might break or the guitar or whatever you're playing and you'll want to fix it. And it's prohibited to fix instrument, musical instruments or anything to fix anything on Shabbat. But it seems like they didn't want to mimic the temple. The temple in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago had musical instruments. And so you look in the Psalms, it's all about 
praise God with the, the violin and with the lyre and the harp and all that. The, the rabbis, it seems, did not want us to exactly mimic the temple. As synagogues are not exactly the temple. So to kind of remember that we're not, they, they really cut out music. So even if technically you can have music, sometimes people play music not on the Sabbath with the, the cantor or with the, the baltfila, but it's it's interesting that this certainly on on Saturday on Sabbaths and holidays it's traditionally prohibited. But conservative reform, many of them bring them back, and it it really adds a lot of pizzazz to the service. One of the things we do is I forgot the particular prayer, but we have a pop up song. So what'll happen is you'll have random people who are assigned, and I'm one of them. Random people assigned a few sentences to sing, and the uh, the crowd is unsuspecting. The next thing you know, the person next to you, boing, stands oh, up really? and starts singing a particular verse on Rosh Hashanah. Nice. This is yeah, this is, yeah. Wow, very exciting things happening in John's synagogue. Did <laughs> you like sponsor? Well, so we many... can't we can't play guitar. It's a traditional right. synagogue. We can't play guitar, so we have to do something exciting, right? Yeah, it's you know, so you know, it's it's interesting that this. And by the way, I apologize if you listen to previous podcasts. I use the word interesting too much, and I mean in a positive way. That uh, look, what a great world we live in. It's so interesting. There's so many. <laughs> so maybe we should have a podcast drinking game. Every time you say interesting, you have to have one. <laughs> that is a great idea. Uh, then what's I'll your drink to of choice podcast. today? What's that? What's your drink of choice today? You know, I'm drinking. Jim, I, I normally like scotch, and I'm—I'll tell you about that in a second. I have—I'm very excited. I got a good scotch, but I'm drinking drinking Jim Beam Black Extra Age. It's probably like, you know, like the equivalent of a blended scotch or Gewalt. But but remember, Rosie Mock in way back in Lakeview used to love Shivas Regal. Her was sure. she would always sponsor that and give a Shivas Regal. That was a ninety-year-old woman, but she knew her. She knew her old school, good blended scotch. So I'm drinking Jim Beam. What are you drinking? Well, first I should say Jim Beam got me through college. The the (laughs) 1.75 liter with the spout, that's the one that uh, got me through. But it's a little chillier here in Chicago. So it's fall. I figured let's break out the Laphroaig, a nice peaty bomb of peat from Isla. Oh, nice. Ooh, nice, nice. And it burns the throat all the way down. I can smell it all the way in Detroit. It's good. But it makes my tummy oh so happy. Yeah. You know, there is a restaurant that we haven't talked too much about this, but an amazing restaurant in Chicago, Milk's. Yeah. Uh, Milk's a barbecue for the perplex. And I remember the owner was trying to raise money, I think, for Israel or something. So he asked people to donate their best scotch. And then all the sales of the scotch would go towards uh, towards Israel, towards a really good cause. So I'm excited about a scotch that I ordered. There's a new store here that was taken over by Orthodox Jews, liquor store. It's called Lincoln Liquor and Pharmacy. Or no, Lincoln Pharmacy and Liquor. (laughs) They sell lottery tickets. They sell pharmaceuticals and liquor. Everything that's addictive. Sounds like heaven. (laughs) Yeah. And Romanian. They sell Romanian salami and hot dogs. Uh, Um, The the garlic Polish. Yeah, right. So they, he ordered Glen Caddam. I don't know if people who are listening have had Glen Caddam. It was, it's an amazing scotch, single malt. And I had it when I was at a wedding 
in Muncie, in Spring Valley Yeshiva. Sure. So I guess it's kosher. It was wonderful. And so I'm going to try that for Rosh Hashanah. There is a custom on the second night of Rosh Hashanah, because you say a blessing of Shechianu that we talked about that last week. I think that it's like yep. new. It's something new, but it's the second day. What's so new about the second day? So, but we say that blessing. And so some, you try to wear a new piece of clothing. You have a new fruit that you haven't had. And we'll I'm call it a Yoma, Yoma Richter or something like that. Yeah. Right? Oh, wow. We're getting very technical, right? Because it's uh, halakhically, it's considered like one long day. So what are we saying a Shechianu if it's just like the second half of the same day? So the rabbis say, no, 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 you got to say it anyway. But so just in case we have something new extra to say Shechianu for. So I'm going to say it on that bottle of, of Glen Cadam scotch. I'm very excited about that. All right. I look forward for a scotch review. And I, I don't think we'll have time till after the holidays, but we still have to circle back on our whole discussion on scotch and booze. Yeah, but you remember, John, this, I don't know if you were still, but this was an issue of Scottish counties that were boycotting Israel. And uh, there was a whole thing of boycott. I don't even want to say the brand because I think it was probably wrong, but there was a certain brand of scotch that came from a county where they yeah. had voted to boycott Israel. So, you know, anti-Semitism, it gets <laughs> in everywhere, you know, any discussion. Well, well, speaking of Detroit and, and Jews, you know, one of the people who was on my panel, we were talking about their book, one of our co-authors, Betsy Shapiro, she's a she's a high ranking person in the Justice Department who actually deals with classified information, which is hilarious because I asked her if she had any sleep over the last three months. But one of the things in our discussions that came up is her son made the cover of the Detroit Jewish News, Micah Gelb. They call him the, the Michigan Maccabee. He's at, he's at Michigan now. He's 6'5", 288 pounds, offensive lineman. Oh, my God. And my daughter's there. And uh, hi, Shana, if you're listening. And I told her to connect with this guy. You know, it sounds like a nice guy. He fasts on Yom Kippur. He eats only kosher food on Passover, you know. And so really, yeah, it sounds, and he's worked really hard. He said he really worked, you know, to get his grade point average up. He did well in calculus. This is the Detroit Jewish News. It's a great paper, by the way. It's really a weekly Jewish paper. You know, just really a lot of good, interesting stories. They, they, change their format. They they tried a little bit to be a little bit edgy. And <laughs> we'll get back to they had Rashida Tlaib on the front cover. Didn't go over very well with the Jewish community. So now, but now well, it's a great that, that was in the what are they thinking category. Exactly. Yeah, it was uh, two years. And now it was a great, interesting paper. And and everyone in, I'm not, I'm not saying every Jew in Detroit, but it feels like every Jew in Detroit reads it every week. And you get the local news like this guy and and you know in in Detroit you know I'm sure every city has this but Michigan go blue it's like it's like a religion it's another religion almost so he's like you know he's Jewish and he's also go blue Michigan religion guy yeah but, maybe we'll get him on someday but yeah your your friend Talib <laughs> said I I want you all to know that among progressives it becomes clear that you cannot claim to hold progressive values yet back Israel's apartheid government right. and every Democrat storm twitter to say no we don't believe in what she's saying we're not all right. like this we're not oh all rashida, rashida anti-israel rashida. you know and she's not uh, your she, congressperson right she is not but she's in the neighborhood in the area and actually she is going to be because they redistricted in michigan she is going to be representing part of jewish community of southfield 
and of Franklin. A lot of Jews live in Southfield and Franklin. So she will be representing Jews. And look, you know, we're talking a lot. The theme of this podcast is tshuva, is repentance. Anyone can repent. Maimonides says anyone can repent. So we'll see what happens. Maybe when she, she'll meet some Jews, you know, a lot of the Jews that she's met in the past, wonderful people, but they're way, you know, Jewish voice for peace, if not now, people very, very left. And I don't want to say left, I think confused. Can you just say that? Confused. <laughs> and, and maybe she can meet some Jews that are not as confused and maybe that'll have an Im impact. But I want to say, you know, this goes back to, I want to say the opposite. I don't think you can be a real progressive and be against the Jewish people having, after all their suffering and thousands of years of being attached to their land, not having their own homeland. You cannot be a progressive without believing that the Jews have a right to a homeland and to the state of Israel. You can believe also that Palestinians have a right to a homeland and, and they're a nation, but you got to be progressive. To be, you got to believe in the Jews. And Zionism is the Jewish liberation movement. Gamarnu, that's it. That's a Jewish liberation. So if you're here, here, everyone can't see me, but I'm raising my glass in your <laughs> honor for that fantastic speech. There you go. Thank Time. you. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have a good audience here, you know, and so, but spread that word. It's Jewish liberation. It's finally being able to have our own home, our own place, you know, and, and again, I think it could be the best thing to happen to the Palestinian people could be partnership with the Jewish people and figuring that out. And, you know, so it's always, a, it's for me, it's actually very sad because it's such an opportunity now and there is shared society going on and there are so many people involved in bringing Palestinians and Jews and Israelis together. And it's always so disappointing when uh, a Congresswoman, you know, speaks vitriol and hatred and nonsense. And it's just so harmful. And, and it's just, you know, Israel, thank God, is doing great. I have two kids there. It's it's doing great. It's doing great. It's it's struggling with a very bad election coming up. So maybe what is well, that number five? Yeah, and and there's some really bad elements that are running in different parties, uh, Ben Gvir and some others. But overall, you know, Israel's thank God doing well. Israel's selling gas to Europe now, and Israel's you know, working on treaties with, with Lebanon and even with Hamas and Gaza. And it's just disappointing when someone, a Palestinian in, the, in Congress is not able to realize that the way forward for the Palestinian people is to work in harmony with the Jewish state and not against it. So there's, that's my view and, you know, whatever. Right. Well, what, is, what do all the countries in the Abraham Accords know that she doesn't? Yeah. It, and it, vice versa, uh, right? You know, I feel, and, and I feel for any country, every country should want to get something out of what the Jewish state has to offer. And, you know, but it's, but you know what, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm always hopeful. And, you know, we'll see. And, and, but it is an issue on campuses. If Jews and pro-Israel people want to get involved in, in very progressive organizations, uh, University of Vermont had some real serious issues where they didn't want you know, people who were Zionists to be involved in, in 
organization that dealt with women, abuse of women. And again, I think if you want to be a real progressive, you have to recognize the Jewish people's right to a homeland. And that's Israel. So, yeah. And one of the other have. chapters in our terrorism book, Baruch Weiss, was actually involved in some of the lawsuits against campuses that it engaged in anti-Semitism. And we should definitely get him on someday. Well, it's Rosh Hashanah time. Let's have you take it away. What should we know about Rosh Hashanah coming up? Things that people may not know, maybe things like about Tashlich and interesting things that maybe they haven't thought of. I mean, one thing that struck me as I was reading about it recently was, you know, the Torah doesn't even talk about it much, which is shocking. I think if you ask the average Jew, you'd think there'd be like pages and pages about Rosh Hashanah and the Torah, and there just isn't. What's going on here? Well, you know, it mentions Yom Hazikaron. One place it says a day of remembrance. And the other day place it mentions, you know, so it's mentioned in, in Leviticus, it's mentioned in Numbers, it's mentioned as a day of, of trua, of blowing, it's not even clear, some kind of blast. Is it a shofar? What is a shofar? A ram's horn? You're right, these things are not so clear. So there's some kind of holiday and I think as, as, as you pointed out, John, it's actually in the seventh month of the way the Jewish calendar goes, because it starts from the month of Passover of Nisan, and then we're seven months from Passover. It's not called Rosh Hashanah, you're right, in the Torah, but it is an important holiday of remembrance. And so our rabbis say, what are you supposed to remember? And ultimately, it's remembering the creation of the world. And, and I actually, when I see something like the Ken Burns documentary of the Holocaust in the US, and or when you see documentaries about, you know, slavery or Jim Crow, or, you know, you wonder what kind of world was created by God. And then maybe you, you think back, you remember maybe going back to a more pleasant time, a more innocent time. It is supposed to maybe just remember that we are responsible for this world, that this is a world created by God, but God put us here to, to keep it going, to fix it, to, to make it fulfilled morally. So just for me, it's, it's really a holiday of thinking about the world, the human being, and is there anything we can do to redeem this place? Now, you, you've spent, before you were a rabbi this time, you were in the congregation. So having been on now both sides and knowing that it's probably easier to get through Rosh Hashanah being a rabbi than being a congregant. What's it like being a congregant after having been a rabbi? And how can congregants get through Rosh Hashanah in a more meaningful way? Oh my gosh, that is really tough. First of all, I think COVID did us a big favor for all the hardships that COVID brought and tragedies that it brought. It showed us that we can have a much shorter service than <laughs> we ever thought possible and it could be meaningful. So I would say, don't try to say everything. Bring, I mean, ideally, I'm sorry for other rabbis listening to this. We are going to cut out a lot of stuff. We are, you know, in Anshi Shalom in Chicago, services went, I can't believe this, from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. That's five hours. That's Rosh Hashanah. Now, on Yom Kippur, John, I remember you complained that our break was too big. You said, don't, you know, <laughs> you like no break or something. Let's Either just tear thing. through it. Yeah. But Rosh Hashanah, five hours? 
and I, you know, I, you know, I try, John, I try to make it interesting, exciting and all that. It's, it's, so one thing I would recommend. So if you are shorten the service, cut it, make it tight. There's great stuff there, but it needs a lot of edit. The other thing I would say is that bring a book with you, bring an interesting book that is you know, that is appropriate, that is relevant and make your time, make it feel productive. Don't, you don't have to say everything in the mahs or in the, the prayer book that you're reading from. Don't feel you have to say it, just feel inspired. And if you need to read for 20 minutes or so, read, you know, just make sure that you're, you're not bored out of your mind <laughs> say, number one find a way of making sure you're not that way so i john what are your thoughts yeah i, th I think that's right and you know i think one of the things that the customs that i that i really like because i think it really helps you focus on why you're there is asking forgiveness for all the things you've done over the last year you know it's starting yeah. rosh hashanah time and it, it really you know I, I do this with someone at work who's not jewish and it's interesting how we just look at each other in the eyes and look, I'm sorry for all the things I've done to you, you know, over the last year. And we kind of hug it out and then we're done. And it's a it's a great way. I know that that, you know, sometimes you almost need that that cleanse. Right. Once yeah. once a year, yeah. just to look at each other in the eyes and say, look, I've done lousy things to you. I'm sorry. I'll try oh to do gosh. better. And You're so you know, saying that to people, even if you haven't seen them a lot, you know, it, it gets yourself that muscle memory of doing it. And I think it's it's an important thing. I mean, the other thing is to get me through it. You know, I, I'm involved in other ways in the synagogue, Shomrim, you know, sort of like right. volunteer security. And so part of it is how I've been getting through even Shabbat is, you know, I'm out a little bit. I'm doing some greeting. <laughs> I'm, oh, no. No, that's I'm, great. Uh, that is great. Uh, keeping an eye, we, we have real cops with right. real guns, but but there's also the second line of defense. We sometimes call ourselves Operation Speed Bump. And, you know, to the extent uh, we look at people to make sure that they belong, I think that I would recommend actually everybody to, to walk through a Secure Community Network. SCN has a great yes. uh, materials on their website about synagogue security and things like that, making sure you have medical trauma kits and you know in case of god forbid happened but it's really something you should be thinking about but you know do i use my role as a shomer sometimes to duck out of service a little if i'm being truthful hold on let me have the scotch <laughs> yes sometimes i do and i'm not ashamed to admit it well but you know you're being productive like the i'll tell you the things not to do is talk and talk and talk to your neighbor like you know be productive like on a Shabbat also, if you want to help set up Kiddush, you know, like the little meal that's after the service, that's good. Do something productive. If you do want to, if you want to help with babysitting, if you want to help with, you know, whatever it is, just be productive. And if you yeah. want to help with security, but, you know, make sure it's a productive time, you know, th this, and I think that there's a really interesting balance between Rosh Hashanah and then Yom Kippur, which is 10 days later, it's nine days later. And that is like, I hope Russia, it's supposed to be a celebration. It's supposed to be something you look forward to and you enjoy. Maybe if that means getting some reading done that you would look forward to reading while being in synagogue. So you're listening to the shofar and then you're going back and doing some reading and then doing some of your own praying. And so, you know, just figure out 
it's the day that human beings were created. God has made everyone listening to this podcast a human being, I, I assume. And listen, and, and so use your humanity to create a Rosh Hashanah holiday that is meaningful. And that's what the Torah wants. The Torah really wants it to be a, a meaningful time that that changes you. And, and uh, John, it's just beautiful, the idea of you yeah, asking for forgiveness and because the tradition is that God doesn't forgive us for sins against God unless we get forgiveness from those around us. It's not easy. And, but, you know, I also, I would say, I'll just say one other thing about that. And that is, I think even sometimes if you can't say, oh, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. Just calling people that you're, you have a grudge against and you're a little bit annoyed at just calling them saying, I wish you a Shana Tova, Happy New Year. And that's like, I don't know if it's as good as what you said, John, to really ask, but it's a good start. Don't let fear of, you know, I don't want to talk to that person or that. Try to break through that. And, you know, that that's the beginning of creating a different world, really. And, and then there's this ceremony we do called Tashli, where many people are familiar. You go to a, a body of water where I think there needs to be fish in it, right? Something alive in there. Right. And then you cast off your sins, so to speak, because we talked about forgiveness between man and man. And then I guess Tashli, talk to us about this weird ceremony where you see a bunch of Jews walking to a stream or a pond or a lake and either throwing bread in or ceremoniously pretending to throw their sins in the water. I remember when I was in DC and it was raining and some guy either intentionally or unintentionally, boy, he landed in a pond and we all got soaked. And I was just thinking, man, I'm trying to do chuva here. You know, give me a break. But talk to us about Tashli. Well, you know, there's a a verse in Micah that says that God, you will cast all our sins. You'll, You'll throw into the depths of the sea all of their sins. So get rid of their sins. We have this sort of symbol of that we ask God to really help us, you know, move our sins. We know now that you dump things into the ocean, it pollutes the water. You can't dump too many sins in, but, you know, and then <laughs> no, you have, no petrochemicals. Right, exactly. And you have PFAS, these things that never decompose. And you have plastics that all the fish eat and then the microplastics. But micro whatever polymers you know the idea is that make it a little easier you know sometimes if you feel i cannot do chuva i can't repent i'm too bad there's nothing i can do then you continue on a path of being not such a good person but if you feel like everyone wants you to change and everyone's open to changing and you go and stand before water and that's the beginning of a process it's a beautiful thing i also think that i have just very fond memories of in Lakeview, we would go to the lake and the bread that we threw in, the fish didn't have a chance because the seagulls would. Uh, I remember. Would, And then if you did Tashlich, different synagogues, we try to bring, occasionally we got the synagogues to coordinate and do Tashlich together. But occasionally, like the reform synagogue would come before us and then no one was hungry for the bread anymore. And the, the, the fish weren't hungry. The seagulls weren't hungry. They, they'd been fed. So, but it's a great- And, and our so, sins just bobbed in the water. Yeah, a little sad, <laughs> a little nerve worrying. But it's a great social time also. And it's not a time to, to gossip. It's a time to 
love each other and to be together and to have camaraderie and and that sort of that builds up a a spirit of that you know we're all good people you know that's also sort of captures the the theme of the holiday of the creation of the human being and and what human beings can be they can all get along and i have never seen any fights break out in Tashla, you know. In fact, it's nice when people share bread. I didn't bring my bread. You have to have my, you know, license, you know. So it's a really wonderful time. I, I have seen fights break out over seats at <laughs> Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Uh, you know, people... Oh, my gosh. People that... want to protect their, you know, he was oh. the, the Makom Kavur, right? Their, their oh special seat. Is... And God forbid someone takes your seat because then you can't talk to God from a different seat because God can't hear you in E6 versus E8. I think finally at Anshi Shalom, we convinced people to have open seating. It, it's it's real. That's real. You know, look, people are people. And it is true that there are fights that break out on the high holidays. And I've had a, you know, a politics and not letting this one speak and that one wanted to speak. And I remember having to apologize to this one and but, you know, actually, I'll tell you, the relationship survived, even when when uh, I didn't let someone speak. And so, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's a, it's a creative time and it's a time we can really uh, create a different kind of world. And in, 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 whether it's in our synagogue, our community, our family, you know, the ones we love, our, our friends, it's a time to really recreate the world. And maybe Zikaron, the memory is it to remember what is important in in life and what is not important is is your seat in the synagogue in the right place is that important or it's not and i guess sometimes we forget but but john i it's coming up we're a couple of days and uh, but even after Hashanah, then you have yom kippur which is really much more serious and i think we'll get a podcast before yom kippur i hope absolutely but that was a great way to end on a great optimistic no fighting zone Hopefully, God willing. Well, look, I uh, have a Shabbat Shalom and Shana Tova. I wish everyone, everyone listening and John, a happy, healthy new year. And you the same. And, you know, I apologize to you and our, all of our listeners for anything I may have done to <laughs> insult or offend you. And I apologize to you, John. You've been so amazing. And uh, anything I did when you were president of the synagogue. <laughs> and, and vice versa. Are we going back 30 years now? Are we? <laughs> clean it all out great well look take care and everyone have a should be a, a good world god willing that we enter into in uh 5783 shana tova everyone thank you for listening to this episode of a rabbi and a lawyer walk into a bar if you like what you heard please subscribe to get our next episode delivered right to you if you really like us, please consider leaving a review and sharing this with a friend. That would really help our efforts. And finally, to contact us and for more show-related information, please visit our website, rabbilawyerbar.com. Special thanks to our production team, David Stone for the introduction music, Andrew Bauman for the artwork, and I'm Nicholas Tantillo. This podcast is co-produced with Front and Social Studios in Chicago. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. Copyrighted material, all rights reserved.